Hi everyone and welcome to today's Dignified Conversation. Today we're joined by Nadia and Gemma who grew up with a sibling who lives with a disability and will hear their perspective on their experiences from the humorous and heartbreaking, the challenges and even the benefits through the eyes of these now adults. So Nadia and Gemma, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So since today's focus is on your experiences as siblings, uh, could you begin by sharing a little bit about the kind of disability that your brother experiences, Nadia? Yeah, so our brother was born with spina bifida, um, which is, um, well, actually, Gemma probably knows more about the specifics of the um, of the disability, but for, from what I understand, um, it's a neural tube defect that then um, can, depending on its severity, develop into um, physical disability and, in our brother's case, physical disability and um, a slight intellectual impairment as well. So um, when he was born, he, it was a complete surprise to my parents that he had spina bifida. Um, they didn't get um, any prenatal testing or scanning and simply because um, back when he was born in the 80s, that wasn't really, um, from what I understand, a common thing. Um, and so... Yeah, when he was born, my parents were sort of told, okay, something's not right. Your son is severely disabled and he probably isn't going to survive. The doctors were really, really um, sort of, you know, thrown for six on what to do. So obviously a really hard thing to just have thrown at you when you've had a baby. No parent wants to get that news at all. And um, they were told pretty much from the get-go that he wasn't going to survive. So they sort of were making plans, you know, preparing themselves mentally and emotionally of how to deal with that. And he, he just kept living. So he went, you know, they said he won't survive an hour. Well, he survived an hour. He won't survive a day. He survived a day and so on for through a week, two weeks, a month. So it, I think it got to um, possibly, you know, he was nearing a year and my parents said to the doctors, we think that he's going to make it. Should we maybe get, um, you know, start talking about some of these, you know, things that we can do for him in terms of he needed a shunt put in his head to drain, I believe, um, is this right, Jim, a cerebral fluid? Yeah. Yeah, and um, I believe the doctors were really reluctant to do it and so my parents had to really push hard to get that done um, and, yeah, that once that was done, um, things were a lot better for him um, health-wise. But, um, yeah, so so basically he spent a lot of his childhood in and out of hospital getting operations, um, surgeries to his back because um, his spine wasn't forming properly. Um, but otherwise, you know, life was very, very normal. Uh, he was, you know, obviously had a wheelchair as young as he could because he couldn't walk at all. Um, he spoke really well um, and didn't unfortunately get to go to mainstream school simply because schools were not set up back then to accommodate for children with any kind of disability. Wheelchairs were just, you know, it was a no-go. There were no ramps. He had to go to, yeah, special school straight away and I think that was a little bit hard for me to understand because I thought, you know, this is it, this is my brother. Why can't he come to school with me? But um, now that I look back, you know, there were steps everywhere. Um, he had sort of special needs that they would not have been capable of addressing. 
at that point in his life. So um, he went to special school. It was more, um, he was in a school with children that had serious intellectual needs and probably required a great deal of the teacher's attention. Um, So there was less of a focus on um, probably learning the three R's um, back then and more about managing all of the students' disabilities and behaviours. So um, it was really fortunate that my mum was able to teach him to read and write outside of school because I don't know that that would have happened otherwise. Goodness. And Gemma, can you tell us a bit about your family, so birth order and the dynamics within your family, just so we can get that that perspective? Yeah, sure. So Nadia is the firstborn, the golden child, and then (laughs) (laughs) and then four years later, mum and dad fell pregnant again. I think we were all happy surprises (laughs) so four years later mum and dad fell pregnant again and that was our brother and of course he has a spina bifida um and so that was a big shock to them and then uh they thought you know well this is a lot um I don't even know if they planned on having two kids but um they didn't plan to have any more I don't think they you know it was a lot for them to deal with and uh and then two years later oh another happy surprise I came along so um so there's three of us and yeah we grew up uh with our mum and dad in a smallish town uh, in Queensland and well you know small smallish uh town near a city in Queensland and uh and we were like any other family really we uh loved each other but we fought hard when we were young just because our brother has a disability uh you know it didn't mean that we you know never argued we yeah we were just like any any family and all three of us fought and argued all the time but as we've gotten older we're um we get along a lot better and um I think that we were <laughs> a very typical family so yeah. uh, you know and, and any children any family with three children you know we were actually really close growing up I don't know if you agree because you and our brother are closer in age. You um, probably had a more typical sibling relationship, um, whereas because I was four years older than our brother and six years older than Gemma, I sort of assumed a little bit of a caregiver role, I suppose, and I think probably a lot of eldest children will relate. Um, I was a my mum needed and dad needed my dad went to work during the day mum needed support um you know when she could from me um growing up so you know even if it was something simple like if we went out somewhere you know helping her physically do things um and also I guess I just have a little bit more of that bossy elder child nature so I just happily jumped into that yeah I just you know jumped into okay well you're my brother, but I'm also your mother and you're going to do what you're told. And and um, so in that type of family, you know, where there's three kids, I think we're pretty typical. I think that's very common. Um, and we played together. We, um, because, you know, yes, our brother has an intellectual disability, but it's, I wouldn't say, I, I don't know, Jim, what would you say? Is it severe or not? It's, uh, no, it's... Um moderate it's mild to moderate yeah Yeah. Um, so he's perfectly capable of you know having a full conversation 
Um, and, you know, things, certain things might be difficult for him in terms of like it might take him a little bit longer to to read something or write something or work out, you know, something to do with money. But he can definitely, you know, talk to you normally and we used to have really like, you know, we'd have really funny conversations together. We liked the same kid things growing up. We like to go to the same sort of places. Like we would love to go to the beach because we sort of grew up near a beach when we were younger. Um, obviously a little bit harder for him if we went somewhere where access was restricted. Like I don't ever really remember him if we went to the beach going on the sand. Oh, Gem, do you yeah. remember that? Or going swimming? We yeah. certainly went swimming. We couldn't do. Yeah, I remember that. We went swimming in the family pool because my parents were real, really adamant that, you know, he was going to do the same things that we did. So he had a little pool chair. Um, my personal perspective was I had extreme anxiety as a child that just sort of went undiagnosed probably because I was very high-functioning. But um, I used to remember getting really anxious when we would all go in the pool together because I was like, how am I going to keep these two children alive? It was never a factor for me that my our parent, parents were sort of hovering in the background. I was like, if I was always thinking if our brother fell out of his pool chair, what would be the best strategy for getting him out and, you know, reviving him? And similarly, if my sister, you know, was a toddler at the time, if something happened to her, how would I save her? So I used to actually like have insomnia at night thinking through scenarios of how I would save my siblings if something went wrong so let me ask you Nadia being the eldest when your brother when your brother was born do you think you were old enough at that point can you recall knowing that something was different sort of I remember going to the hospital for the first time to meet him with my dad um, and I just remember holding him and there's actually a picture of me holding him for the first time and I think my feelings were very much that of, and maybe they didn't tell me, I'm not 100% sure that there was something wrong, but um, I, my earliest memories of that time were just being proud that I had a baby brother, yes. um, holding him, being excited, telling my friends, I was probably kindy age at that time, telling my friends that we had a new baby. So I probably avoided all of the fear and anxiety that was sort of circulating around the family at that time. Um, and I know certainly my parents would have felt that because, you know, they had to then explain it to their family members who probably didn't understand. And um, I remember sort of my mum telling me later on that, you know, uh, things were a little bit more difficult or that, you know, our brother had certain, you know, health issues that made things harder for him and just naturally as I grew older I came to realize that you know obviously um and so I was very very aware and I think um I, I don't know if Gemma has the same feelings but I think it gave me a much deeper sense of empathy and um probably maybe emotional intelligence as a child growing up because mm. I knew from a very early age the world was not perfect yes. and that things could bad you know bad things could happen to people um and that you know you you just sort of had to um deal with those things Gemma do you think having been born after your brother 
And at that point, you know, we were, we, you were past the point of he may not live a day, a week, a month, a year. How do you think your view of your brother is different to Nadia's when you were, when you were little? Yeah, I think I didn't have that fear that he was perhaps not going to survive or that he was very sick. I think, you know, I just thought he was normal when I was little, you know, and I used to yeah. I remember I used to get around on he had this little wheelie um skateboard type skateboard thing. type thing yeah. that I used to get around on on the floor and I they had a spare one, so that's how I got around as well. And I just thought <laughs> I we were they, the same. Yeah, I remember that. It was actually really, really cute, the two of them, because, you know, Gemma was this, like, chubby little toddler and they were roughly the same size because, you know, um, with spina bifida you don't, well, for our brother anyway, he didn't grow very tall. So the two of them would scoot around. Yeah, we were like twins. We were really yeah. close when we were little. And I used to follow him around to all the hospital appointments and doctor appointments yeah. because Nadia was in school, I think. And, uh, yeah. and yeah, I just thought it was pretty normal, actually. It wasn't until I got into school that I realised things were quite different mm-hmm. um, and when I started hanging out with other families. And um, I was very protective of our brother um, because we were two years apart. We played together a lot and socially you know went to lots of social outings together and um I would see you know that he was a bit socially isolated and sometimes kids would bully him or be mean to him and was that probably when you first noticed was was the social interactions yeah yeah it wasn't until we were sort of um I guess maybe like seven around seven or eight when we're a bit older and kids get that awareness about differences um and they can be cruel kids as you know sometimes Um, and so we would face that a lot um and I would I became very protective of him and I would uh be very defensive from the outset and make sure he was I wanted to make sure he was included in play and um, when he wasn't I would get really angry and if someone said something about him or looked at him, I would, I would, you know, I would basically tell them where to go. I would, I would yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And 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 you know, I do credit that as I got older, um, I became very protective of my friends as well in that same way. And so, if anyone believed my friends, I would just be there to attack. I would, yeah. I would defend them to the end. Um, and yeah, I agree with Nadia that I think it, it seeing our brother go through all that um, from a young age made us more empathetic yes and as adults and um, we see that we saw that struggle that people who have differences can go through what do you think were some of the assumptions people made about either your brother or yourselves your family unit that um, that you maybe picked up as a young child I think that for most the most part it was just curiosity for a lot of it I I remember this one time in particular that um my we went out to the local shopping center and we were I think we were looking for shoes for my father and so there was all of us there mum dad the three of us and we went into this store and dad was trying on shoes and my brother was sitting there in the shop and this other person was there with their child and the child was just sort of staring at our brother probably because he'd never seen anybody in a wheelchair anymore 
I know that my kids now, you know, if they see somebody that might have um, have had an amputated limb, they'll sort of look because they're curious as well, what happened to that person? Um, and, you know, we have a conversation about that. Um, but at the time it was sort of very, um, I remember that being very confronting, yeah, and our dad sort of said something like, you know, dad, dad's very outspoken. He might have said something like, you know, take a picture, made it last longer or something like that. And, yeah. <laughs> and you know, it was, it was really an awkward situation. And as we got older, I found myself kind of mimicking that response as well. You know, ah. if we would go somewhere and I would see somebody staring or pointing, I would just sort of stare them down. I wouldn't say anything. I would just sort of stare, stare them down and make it obvious that I was not going to allow them to do that I think we sort of it, and, and now that I look back I know that it's because you know and kids do that they don't understand why that might have happened to somebody or they might be seeing a wheelchair for the first time um, so it's absolutely not their fault but I do think it is the role of parents to say to normalize it and to yes. say this person is using a wheelchair because they might not be able to use their legs or maybe they can use their legs and they just get tired easily. So maybe that's why they do. Um, maybe you can ask them yourself and, and, you know, obviously teach them to do it respectfully because yes. I think by and large people are quite happy for you to ask them um, questions as long as it's not um, done disrespectfully or it's, you know, they're comfortable with it. They might not be comfortable, but, you know, you can always ask the question and get told, no, thanks, I'm not interested in talking about it yeah. rather than just sitting there and staring. Yeah, yes. that making them the other, that othering them, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the worst bit. Gemma, do you think growing up you as a family had the support you needed? Do you think your parents had the support they needed, but then do you think you, you children had the support you needed? I very much think that, by and large, no, uh, we didn't have uh, the support that we needed. I think uh, particularly my parents, are, well, they had some support. That's not true. Uh, we had a very close-knit family. So our family was, uh, like our wider extended family was very supportive. But yeah. there's limitations right Jem like I don't think that it would have been easy for my mum and dad to say we want to go away for a week on a holiday can somebody come and babysit it just wasn't that easy for them because our brother had needs like he needed he had toileting needs or he might have had um, you know needed certain medications administered that they just didn't feel comfortable of offloading to another family member so right. I don't think they, yeah, I think Gemma's right. I don't think they got all the support they probably, that a family without a child with a disability would have gotten. There was no respite care. There was yeah. no nurse. There was no, you know, um, nursing available. Uh, oh, no, yeah. that's not true. We did get blue nurses. Yeah. but We did get support from blue cost. nurses, but, yeah, at a that's cost. true. At a cost, and not all families can afford that, and, uh, we did get nannies when we were younger because um, uh, I, I suppose they needed, the student nannies needed the experience of, of caring for a family where there was a child who had a disability. Um, so that was helpful for mum. But um, apart from that, 
really there was not much support from the government. There was not much support from society. There was not much support from their friend group. So mum and dad spoke a lot about how they lost their friends uh, when my brother was born. So um, basically really there were most of their friends didn't know how to react to mum and dad having a child with a disability or they didn't want to be burdened um, with, you know, socialising with a family who had a child with a disability and so they just pretty quickly um, slipped away, I suppose, yeah. What do you think your parents did really well? I think that they just did exactly what any parent would do in that situation or any good parent would do in that situation, and that is they got on with it. Um, they really championed um, for my brother when he needed it um, in terms of healthcare, um, insisting that he would get operations when doctors probably weren't, you know, doctors are very risk adverse in most cases, and yes. I think that they had to really fight for him in yes. that respect. Um, also just I think, you know, um, the fact that they were really scrutinised as parents. Um, I remember one time, this was when we were a little bit older, we were living next door to this family and the mother of this family in particular was, um, oh, I think, not a very nice lady. I think she was quite unhappy. And she um, heard one day that our brother had um, had to go to hospital because of something that had happened that was a complete accident um so basically um he had because he couldn't feel his legs he'd gotten in the bath and there was a problem with our water heater and the bath water was too hot my mum was not aware of it um and so as a teenager she asked me instead of asking my mum directly um and I just said oh he got in the bath and he got burnt and so um I believe I don't know if I could prove this but I believe it's my opinion that she then um, reported um, a case to um, whatever department you know is responsible for checking that children are okay Um, and that was really humiliating and demoralizing for my mother to be scrutinized like that when you know these people were not a, and my mum was not a stay-at-home mum. She was working at the same oh, time. Wow. So she was working, juggling three kids, one with a severe disability, and um, then to have it pulled into question. And that organisation came out, walked around, saw the amazing level of care that my family was providing for my brother, um, and not just the level of actual care but the money my parents had invested in in a setup for him so you know a bed that could cope um, with his needs um, the wheelchair that could cope with his needs all of the medical equipment that had been invested in and none of it was cheap they funded that themselves uh, with very little support from the government and it was just so fortunate that my parents um, were well off enough that they could do that. Otherwise, it might have been a very different upbringing for my brother. Mm. So there was definitely that level of scrutiny I think they felt from others, um, social exclusion in that, yes, sometimes as a family we might not be invited to things that people didn't think my brother was capable of doing. And I don't think there was any ill will there. I think it was just, oh, maybe we don't invite them because it will be too hard for them to bring their child. Um, because he has a wheelchair. Yes. 
Um, but they had a really good close-knit group of friends by the time Gemma and I was sort of, um, well, I was a teenager and Gemma was probably, you know, late primary school, a really close-knit group of friends who were just amazing and just so lovely and, you know, would always say to my parents, you know, if you need help, if you want to come on a holiday with us, you know, we'll, we'll go on a holiday, we'll look after the kids. Um, and certainly that became a little, as I became a teenager, that became a little bit easier for my parents. I think they felt confident that I could look after um, our brother and Gemma if they went away for a weekend. So it gave them the opportunity to sort of um, live out the years that they might not have otherwise been able to enjoy together as a couple. How do you think your experiences, both the challenges and, uh, you know, and the wonderful moments are now impacting the way that you parent? Mm, good question. Look, I think it's made me appreciate um, my parents so much more <laughs> because <laughs> I think, you know, uh, I, have a, I have a child who so far, as far as we know, does not have a disability. Um, and when he gets sick with a cold or something, that's hard enough for me. And I just, I just look back and think, oh my gosh, how did my parents cope? How did they, how did they do that? Not just logistically, but, um, but how did they do that emotionally? Um, Mm. and it makes me really appreciate what they went through. Um, so it does give you perspective, I think, and it, you know, Especially with mum because mum did the, and I think that's very common at the time, the 80s, 90s, you know, mums did the lion's share of the work and, you know, dads typically, the typical family was that your dad went off to work from nine to five and mum looked after everybody and she certainly, I think, had to give up a lot to be able to negotiate the medical appointments because there were a lot. Um... And also she, you know, was going to uni to further herself. She was already educated, but she, you know, was going to do more further study and, um, you know, had me, I, you know, I was going through school, so needed help and same with Gemma. So I think it must have been like a massive, a massive job and a mass, and yes, certainly now that Gemma and I are mothers ourselves, we realise, wow, that was huge. What have you learned from your brother in how he's lived and overcome the challenges that he's faced? He's pretty impressive, hey, Jim. Like I think that he um, he's never had any trouble making friends. He is um, able to converse on any level and that's in spite of his having an intellectual disability, which you know, it's really mm. tough when you've got both um, and ends of the spectrum there you know physical disability that holds you back and intellectual disability as well but um, he lives a very normal life I think probably the thing that frustrates me most is that he's so stubborn so we would try to push him to do things um, you know he's got carers now that sort of get him out of the house a little bit more but for a long time he was very um, sedentary and sort of insular and sat at home and just didn't really get out and do anything and we were always like suggesting things and he'd be like no no too hard too hard what's the point um, and I think that's very common of somebody that you know um, sees limitations in everything because they feel those limitations very personally um, but yeah what would you say about that Gem? 
I think the main thing is that you just get on with it, don't you? You just you take what you've been given in life and we all have limitations, every single one of us. Um, and you you do the best that you can uh, with what, what you have you've got. and yeah. you just get on with life really and, you yeah, that's what I've learned from him. You just keep on you keep on going on, which which he does because he has a lot of challenges. Um, he really does, and you know, he just gets he just gets through it. So, looking back on your childhood, what would nobody have known? Like, what would your parents not have known that you maybe internalized? Oh, that's a good question. I think I certainly had a lot of anxiety that I yeah. didn't. My parents knew I was anxious about certain things, but I don't think they knew quite the extent of my worry about um, what if bad things happen to us. Um, Certainly I remember telling mum once that um, she was like, why can't you sleep at night? What's going on? What do you, what do you, can't you just think happy thoughts? And I was like thinking to myself in my head that the night before I had laid there like, doing a floor plan of our house in my head so that if there was a fire in any given place in the house, I'd be able to run to my brother's room, get him, break the window, throw him out the window, oh, then go to Gemma's room. Like this is how that's old how, were you then? Oh like maybe like nine or ten. Yes. I, I I had similar yeah, I had similar thoughts. I remember I used to just have these intrusive thoughts as young as maybe, I don't know, 10, uh, where I would just imagine our brother falling into the pool outside and none of us being there to see it. And I would sometimes constantly just look outside to check if I didn't know where he was in the pool, like I'd look in the pool. And I'd also have, yeah, fears about a house fire and what would happen and how would we get him out. Yeah, so that's really interesting to hear that Nadia went through that too because I don't think we ever talked about that as a family no, or as sisters and I never knew that you had those same worries. Isn't that, yeah, that's crazy. Um, I also think that um, there's that's flown, that sort of when I had my first child, my daughter, I would have those same thoughts about things happening to her and it really rattled me. I was like... You know, I, I was not a very nervous pa- um, first-time parent. I sort of felt very capable of looking after her, but sometimes I would be really nervous about, you know, giving her a bath because I would think, oh, my gosh, what if she falls underwater and drowns? Like I've got to make sure that nothing happens to me so nothing happens to her. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that on some level all first-time parents go through those scenarios Mm. but I think it really did remind me of the worry that I used to feel as a child like a helplessness Um, and so yeah that's a really good question Tamara I didn't really think I would I would think so introspectively (laughs) yeah and I'm not sure I ever told mum or dad this but looking back I I think I felt a little bit resentful that I lost a lot of my childhood to hospitals and doctor's yeah. appointments and that we didn't get to do the same things as other families, like go on overseas holidays or, you know, yeah. go on big trips together or there were certain places we couldn't go. Um, and none of that was our brother's fault and I knew that and I would tell myself don't be so selfish, you know. Um, 
but yeah, I just, I spent a lot of time in hospital and waiting for appointments and sitting through his appointments and, um, you know, physio appointments and all those things. So you don't feel that your anger was directed at any one person or no, but it was, it was there, that resentment, like. Sometimes that's harder yeah. because when the anger has nowhere to go, you don't really resolve it or talk it out. Yeah. It's just um, it's just there. Yeah, yeah. I definitely wasn't angry at our brother or our parents. I knew it was completely no one's fault. I just, it's just what I felt. I just felt annoyed, yeah. <laughs> frustrated. And that's one of those things as a child you, you wouldn't have verbalised, I'm assuming. And so. No. Um, it, yeah, as you said, Nadia, like it's got nowhere to go. It's just there. Mm. Interesting. It's quite, it's really interesting. And also um, I think as we got older, we did, it did become what we, we did start to become frustrated with him sometimes. And it wasn't because, I mean, you know, I think that all siblings get frustrated with each other. And if he hadn't had a disability, we would have found something else to be frustrated with him for. <laughs> but um I used to. I know Jamie used to get frustrated with him, particularly if he would say, "Like, can somebody get me a drink of water, or can somebody get me this?" And we'd be like, "Get it yourself. You can get it. You know, you yeah. can't play. You can't play the fact that you're in a wheelchair because the water is at eye level in the fridge." Um, so he did, you know, and I think that's um, that's probably understandable. Sometimes just be like, "I'm feeling a little bit lazy," as any teenage boy would. You know, someone get me a drink, and the sisters are like. Get off your backside and get it yourself. But sometimes mum would be like, hello, your brother is disabled. You can help him. And we'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, fine. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, mum did, um, mum was very protective and always has been of our brother. And uh, she. Oh, you call me the golden child. I'm sorry, but he can do no wrong in her eyes. Like, (laughs) he used to, he, tomorrow, the things he would say and still does say to us sometimes. Um, he now he texts so he'll text us messages and maybe there's a little bit lost in translation but sometimes they're extremely rude and I'll be like um that's it I'm dobbing and so I'll be like mom did you know what he just said to me this morning you know I did not appreciate that and she'll be like leave him alone he doesn't know or you know she'll back him up in some way and Gemma and I always like oh Oh, this is so unfair so (laughs) an absolutely normal family absolutely (laughs) yeah and I I also like you know one thing I did want to say is that I I'm sure you know if we could have waved a magic wand and made our brother not disabled yeah, absolutely. We we would have done that for his sake and our parents' sake specifically. But also in some ways I wouldn't because I don't resent the way that our family was. Um, I don't think there was anything different about it really to other families. Um, I think that in a lot of ways it was actually a blessing in disguise for our development or Gemma and my development you know my parents would probably disagree and be like oh my god you didn't see all of these other things things that went on but um you know it yeah I love my brother I don't think that there is um anything that I would change about him um well maybe a couple of things maybe (laughs) less stubborn (laughs) but um yeah I I think that um that's my perspective anyway and I love, this is what I appreciate about hearing your story is every family, any any family with 
somebody who's experiencing a disability will have such a unique story from personalities to birth, um, you know, order to mm. the support that is available to their significant, you know, de- the details of the of what they're experiencing. Yeah. No store, no two stories will be alike. So to hear your perspective and, and to I think this is an opportunity for us to just learn, to listen, to be more empathetic, not just to somebody who's experiencing a disability, but for those who are supporting them and experiencing that with them. Nadia and Gemma, look, thank you, honestly, for sharing so openly your your personal experience. For those of you who are listening in, though, thank you for joining us today. And if you or someone you know is seeking support, uh, we're going to include a uh, few resources in the show notes today that might be helpful for you. And to be featured on Dignified Conversations, you can always email me at tamara at dignifiedhomecare.com.au and uh, otherwise we will see you all next time.